The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates and locations have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognise any of the people, places or events that appear in this story, ask you not to reveal any information publicly, out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. My name is David Paul Nixon, and you're listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast, where we delve into the New Ghost Stories archive to hear witness accounts of the supernatural. Stories that could be delusions, lies, fantasies, or perhaps even the real thing. Just don't make your mind up until you've listened. In the introduction to my last book, New Ghost Stories, Volume 3, I speculated that in time I would see a spike in the number of pandemic-related ghost stories arriving in my inbox. I felt like this was a safe bet because times of social and political upheaval almost always lead to a spike in reports of supernatural activity. As we've seen on the podcast before, troubled minds are more prone to seeing ghosts whether that's as a result of someone in mourning, someone suffering depression, the scars of abuse, or simply someone struggling to cope with life. The pandemic in particular created a type of environment which I felt would be very conducive to more supernatural experiences. For many of us, myself included, it forced us into complete isolation. We had to spend more time than ever before with ourselves for company in our quiet homes day after day. Others had almost the opposite experience, quarantined in close quarters with others, in a limited space, always on each other's toes, with little access to privacy or space to decompress. Added to these stresses was an unknown threat, a source of paranoia and fear, a virus that could be passed invisibly from one person to another, that could be deadly. There was also the uncanny factor. Public areas were empty. Whole offices and workplaces were being staffed by just a few people. Then of course there were the people we lost. Lives suddenly ended in the most painful and often lonely circumstances. And yet I've been surprised that I haven't had the influx of stories I might have expected. It's true that I've had a few some of which I think, after my research is done, may become cases I can present on the podcast, and you'll be hearing the first one of those in a moment. But there's only been a few, and while that surprised me initially, as time has gone on, I realise I'd overlooked a certain aspect of human behaviour. The pandemic was an international event. Unlike a sudden awful tragedy, it's much harder to comprehend and quantify an event on such a scale. Millions died. Countless others suffered. It cost us all something. Yet we seem to be reluctant to talk about it. It has an uneasy place in the public discourse, acknowledged, yes, but generally something we don't want to focus too much on, even as it continues to cost lives and strain our healthcare resources. Mostly we're all just trying to move on. That's hard for the people who suffered the most and the subjects who have come forward and talked to me about what they experienced 
have commented on this. There is a reluctance to really face up to what happened over those near two years of disruptions and restrictions. But normality exerts a force. We don't like to be burdened with anything that restricts us, and it's so much easier to sweep things under the rug than face anything that might cause us to reflect on uncomfortable truths or anything that might cause us to question our own behaviour or motivations. Let's just get back to normal, where we all think we'll feel more comfortable, where we think there'll be less trouble. It's ironic, of course, that this is one of the reasons we have ghost stories. We spoke about this a couple of episodes ago, about the bodies that lie inevitably beneath us wherever we go, wherever we live. Ghost stories are like little alarm bells that say, don't forget, consider, remember. It's why ghost stories are so often about injustice, despicable acts against individuals or peoples performed long ago, whose spirits come back to haunt those in the present, whether those people committed those acts themselves or indirectly profited from them. Supernatural stories are like little pangs of conscience on the public psyche, Remind us not just of things that are wrong, but that we know that they're wrong. We've all heard that phrase that gets said about the sins of the past. Oh, it was a different time. In some sense, that's true. But plenty of us did know. There are countless ghost stories about injustices enacted against women, about colonial plunder, racism and poverty. And countless people read those stories in popular books, magazines and journals. Yet these things carried on anyway. I guess there's no good time to sit down and face incalculable wrongs and the role that we all play in them, not to mention what we might need to do or sacrifice to resolve them. For the pandemic, it might simply be too soon. I don't know how much it helps to tell these stories and ring that little alarm bell. It has a cathartic effect for the teller, if nothing else. Most of the people who come to me with their stories have said that they get something out of just saying things out aloud. I guess you have to keep telling stories until it becomes just too hard to turn away. I'm sure in time more pandemic stories will arrive, and I'll do my best to tell them. And with that in mind, we come to today's story, a Christmas story. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that Christmas stories are a rarity in my archive. This is another case that's been a bit of a rush to prepare for you. I hope you'll find it worth it. In some ways, it's a very traditional festive story. And fittingly, it's one about the need for reflection. A man is forced to come to terms with his own actions and his own choices. And their consequences. I don't want to give away any more than that. Best to just let it unfold and see what you make of it. This is New Ghost Stories case number 431, believe it or not, and it's called The Self-Isolated Christmas, and you can hear it in full, uninterrupted, after these messages. Before we start, I want to ask a quick favour. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could give the show a review. It really helps people to find the show and for me to share it with new listeners. You can review the show on Apple Podcasts or on the Spotify mobile app if you go to the show page and tap the three dot button. 
It really does make a huge difference. Thank you. And now, on with the story. I looked down at the two lines and felt like I couldn't breathe. The test is supposed to take a few minutes. It showed up in seconds as if I had super strength COVID. I called Grace immediately. You're joking, she said. I wish I was, I said back. But how? How have you got it? I don't know. No one at work was coughing. I wore my mask all the way in. Were you wearing it in the office? No, not in the office. Why not? You're always going on at me about wearing mine. Because it's the office. No one wears one in the office. How's that going to look? Oh, fantastic. Have you had a test? I asked her. We took one before we left. We're all negative. Must have got it yesterday or today then. Fuck! Was anyone at work sick? No, I just said everyone was fine. And you've only been to work? Only there and back. We went with some beers at lunch, but hardly anyone was there. Everyone was staying away because of Omicron. I can't fucking believe this, I said. I kicked a kitchen stool over. I'd planned everything so carefully. They'd gone to Mum and Derek's first with the presents, and I was going to drive over there tonight. I was trying to save all my remaining annual leave for the next half term. How are you going to tell the kids? I asked. Well, I'll just have to tell them. No point putting it off. They'll be upset. This is going to ruin Christmas. You know that all they want to do is open their presents. You and your plans, she scoffed. Well, why does your mum have to be such a hypochondriac? She was the one who'd insisted on everyone taking tests. You'd rather come up here and give it to everyone? Your mum and stepdad as well? They're all boosted. I'm not. We had our appointments scheduled for the first week in January. Home tests aren't that accurate. It might be a false positive, she said. How am I going to know? Go to the testing centre at the sports club. I've been with the kids enough times. You can just show up. You don't need an appointment. I googled it. The place was open till ten. It had just gone eight. How long do they take to get back to you? I asked. At least twenty-four hours. Thought I might still make it over late Christmas Eve, maybe even Christmas morning if I was negative. I'll go now. We can decide how to break it to the kids when I get back. I grabbed the car keys and bolted out the door. I should have taken a jacket. I wasn't the only one going for a late last-minute test, and there was insufficient heating in the waiting area. Being shivering cold made it hard to use the swab correctly. I asked if there was any way to fast-track it. The person behind the screen wasn't helpful at all. I didn't know what Grace was getting worked up about. She wasn't the one who was facing Christmas, being stuck at home alone. And what's so bad about spending time with my family? Her mum's the sad sack no one wants to be there. Mum didn't have to invite her. It was after nine when I got back. I tried to order some food on Deliveroo before calling Grace so I could get that moving before we got into the discussion. How are we going to do this? How are we going to position this to the kids? I can't do it now, Jamie. I just put them to bed. We'll do it in the morning. I think it would be best to do it over Zoom, face to face. Sure, fine, whatever, she sighed. This is important, you know. I'm tired, Jamie. You're very on right now. I took a deep breath. But this is not how it was supposed to happen. What can you do? We've been lucky that none of us have gotten it so far. I crashed down into my chair in the living room. I was looking forward to this. After last year, I just wanted this to be a really, really good one. The last thing I needed was to be spending more time at home. Nearly two years of everyone always being here was taking its toll. 
The place was a state. I was wondering whether it was time to look for somewhere bigger, somewhere where we had enough room that you could still eat at the dining table if people had to stay home and work. I wish things could be normal again, I said. So do I, but there's nothing we can actually do about it. Neither of us said anything for a moment. Your mum wants to speak to you, I sighed. Tell her I'll call tomorrow. How has she been? I caught her telling Robbie he was saying book wrong again. Grace is from the Midlands and puts the emphasis on the ook. I'll talk to her again, I said. I got a notification to say my food was on the way. We can talk again in the morning. Maybe I'll be lucky and the test will come back negative. Then I can still make it. We'll talk in the morning, she said. In the few minutes before my chicken vindaloo arrived, I realised just how quiet it was. Two years with everyone stuck at home, and now it was silent. I'd completely forgotten what that was like, to be at home and to have absolute quiet. I jumped when the bell rang and the vindaloo arrived. It was lukewarm and not very spicy. I left them a bad review. Grace and the kids hadn't made a good job of tidying up before they'd left. I did a quick go-around, picking things up, putting things away. I went about with the hoover. Maybe the best way to use this time was to try and put things back together, bring some order to the chaos. Before I went to bed, I did a survey of the food situation. I'd have to get someone to do my shopping. I logged on to Grace's computer to use the meal planner I'd made to help her work out what to get for the weekly shopping. I treated myself to a lie-in the next morning, went for my run at 8.45. The idea had been to avoid the Christmas pounds. It was starting to feel like a waste of time now. I was outside and I didn't go near anyone, so I didn't see why that wouldn't be okay. I'd arranged for us to have the Zoom call with the kids at 10am. I spent the whole run trying to think how I was going to break it to them. I set the laptop on the breakfast counter and waited for Grace to dial in. Despite spending all that time tidying yesterday, the place somehow still looked a state. They did the call from Mum and Derek's kitchen table. It's open plan there, I could see right through to their living room. There was the old tree, same as always, and all the old decorations, put out like they always did every year. It all looked so normal, except that I wasn't going to be there. Grace had Maisie on her lap. Robbie was sat on his own, messing around with a Transformers figure. Hello, Daddy, said Maisie. Hi, guys, I said. I've got some bad news. You got COVID, said Robbie, focusing on his toy. They already knew. They wanted to know why you weren't here, said Grace. I had to tell them. I prepared a whole thing. I was going to tell it to them gently. What's it like, said Maisie. Not going to die, are you, said Robbie. No, I don't feel anything at the moment. I'm asymptomatic. What is asymptomatic? asked Maisie. It means Daddy doesn't feel very poorly, Grace said. If you're not poorly, why can't you come for Christmas? Someone else might catch it from me, so I have to stay on my own, I told her. Grandma and Grandad might get it and die, said Robbie, leaning across the table to shout die in her face. He took off and charged into the living room, flying his transformer through the air. Robbie, come back and talk to your father. Grace put Maisie down and went after him. Daddy, who's that? Maisie asked. Who's what, Poppet? That man who is behind you. It was just me on my own, but I still felt like I had to look behind me. It's only me, sweetheart. I'm home by myself. 
Grace returned a sulking Robbie to the table. You can play with it after, she hissed. Are you excited for Christmas? I asked. Santa's getting me Polly Pocket, said Maisie. But only if you get lots of sleep tonight, said Grace. It's going to snow, Maisie said. We just heard it on the weather, didn't we? said Grace. That'll be exciting, won't it? You can build a snowman. I could hear the doorbell ring in the background. Robbie took off again and ran into the living room. That'll be Derek's kids, said Grace. Max the dog is here. Maisie was up and running too. Maisie be careful. Max was still a puppy and played a bit rough. Is that Jamie? said Mum, wandering in from the dining room. Hi, Mum. Thrown a bit of a spanner into the works, haven't you? I didn't catch it deliberately, Mum. She was joking, but not really. How are you feeling? I feel fine. I don't have any symptoms. Well, that could change, dear. Your cousin Rod ended up in hospital. Did I tell you that? Yeah, you did. He still says he hasn't got his sense of taste back. When did Rod have a sense of taste? What was that, dear? It was a joke. I was saying... I could hear Max barking and saw him bound into the living room. He darted straight for Mum and started jumping up her legs. Oh, hello, boy. Oh, who's a good boy? Max, down, someone shouted. It's all a go here, said Mum, turning back to the screen. I've got to get everyone settled in, my love. We'll talk later. Sure, can you put Grace back? She closed the laptop and the call ended. It was all quiet again after that. I thought perhaps I was better off out of it. Christmases and mums are pretty intense. There's not enough room for everyone, and Derek's family are all right, but his son Warren is a bit of an idiot. He's always going on about his job as if being an insurance account manager is such a big deal. I had to find something for me to do. It couldn't be something too big. I might still get a negative result back. So no retiling the bathroom, repainting the radiators, or revarnishing the mock Tudor beams in the dining room. I decided I'd work on the bottom landing. Robbie was getting bigger, and no matter how many times you told him, he'd race down the stairs and his bag would scrape the walls and he'd kick the skirting board. The shopping came just after I got the filler out. I was not happy. The delivery guy was late, and while I'm sure some things are in short supply close to Christmas, he made very poor choices in picking replacements. The shittest beer, cheap burgers, cheap steak. Cooking a steak and chips was about the only thing I was looking forward to. I messaged Grace to vent about it and left a bad review. The TV was on in the living room and I couldn't remember turning it on. It was showing some ancient episodes of the A-Team. I watched those for a little while before dragging myself back to the wall. The test results came in a text early evening as I was finishing up. They were positive. I really did have COVID. I knew this was going to happen, right? I knew I was going to have to spend Christmas on my own without the kids and they were going to open their presents without me. I knew they'd have Christmas dinner without me, and play with their little cousins without me, and I wasn't going to get to play games with the family, and try whiskies with Derek, and make sandwiches in the evening, and walk Max the dog in the morning. Right then it sunk in hard. I'd worked so hard to get everything ready. This wasn't much reward, was it, for another year struggling to keep the family together, and manage expectations and disappointments? I didn't fucking deserve this. Grace hadn't messaged me back from before, so I texted her again to let her know the result. It wasn't until 8pm that she called me back. I was about to start cooking, I wish she'd called earlier, I complained. 
I can't get a moment's peace in this place. I've had to go out to the car to make this call. You've seen my message. I've seen all your messages. This isn't unexpected news. You don't seem very upset about it. What can I do? After all the planning I put in, all the time I put in getting all the presents, I deserve to have a good Christmas. Excuse me, I did a lot myself, actually. And it's rough being up here too. I don't know most people well. The kids won't settle down. And my mum is sitting on her own, not talking to anyone. So I've got to look after her as well. I somehow doubt you'd prefer to be stuck here on your own at Christmas. Why are you picking a fight with me? Because you're making out like you're having it worse than me. Oh, poor you and your cheap steak. I'm supposed to be spending Christmas with my wife and kids, and you're talking to me like that. You know what, Jamie? I would actually switch places with you if I could. I would switch places with you, and then I could get some fucking peace and quiet away from you and your whole fucking family. She hung up on me. She actually hung up on me. I messaged her back to say how childish I thought she was being. I'd have loved to have switched places with her. I actually would. It was so typical of her. She only thinks about herself. TV was on again for some reason. Perhaps it was broken or something. Another thing I'd have to sort out without any thanks. I cooked the steak properly and it didn't taste so bad. Grace had taken all the good drink to mum's, but I found there was one okay bottle of wine left. I watched old episodes of Live at the Apollo while waiting for Grace to reply. I messaged her again and said I hoped that we could still go through with the present unwrapping on Zoom tomorrow civilly without bringing any of this up in front of the kids. I was sure I'd seen these episodes of Live at the Apollo a few days ago. How bad are repeats getting at Christmas? I texted her Merry Christmas at midnight as I got ready for bed, even though she still hadn't messaged me back. Before I turned out the light, I started to hear noises. Robbie's room is next to ours, and I could always hear him in there, except that he, he wasn't there. He was over a hundred miles away. I knew what it sounded like when he was ambling around, opening and closing his wardrobe, pulling things out from under the bed. Those sounds were as familiar to me as any sounds could be, but these sounds were different. It wasn't his usual pace, and the footsteps sounded a little quieter. Then there was a sudden thump followed by the floorboards creaking much harder than they would under his little feet. I went out into the hall. His bedroom door was closed. I was sure it had been open earlier. The noises seemed to have stopped. The door wasn't closed properly. I could just push it open. The squeaking of the hinges seemed to be piercingly loud. The room appeared to be empty. I turned on the light to make sure. There didn't seem to be anything out of the ordinary, just a mess like always. But because I was unsettled, I checked his wardrobe and under the bed for just a little peace of mind. Maybe it was just the house settling. Maybe it was like this the whole time, but I only noticed now because I was on my own and there was no other noise. Then, when I closed the door, I heard something else. I don't know how exactly to describe it. The sounds someone makes when they're crying, and they breathe in. A sort of sobbing sound. I turned the light back on and stared into the room. Nothing had changed. I walked back to our bedroom. Something about that sound, the sobbing sound, I didn't like it. It made me feel 
very sad. But I had a lot to feel sad about. Grace hadn't texted me back to say Happy Christmas. I texted it to Mum and Derek and my dad and his wife and then I turned out the light. I spent most of the night just lying there, feeling miserable and getting angry at Grace for being such a cow. I felt rough next morning. It had snowed a little overnight so it was an official white Christmas. Grace still hadn't texted me and was really childish and spiteful of her. I had present unwrapping in my calendar for 11am, but I had no Zoom link. I texted Mom as Grace wasn't talking to me and asked her when the present unwrapping was beginning. She texted me back to say basically straight away they couldn't make the kids wait any longer. I ran upstairs to do my hair and make myself presentable for the call. I messaged Grace to ask if she was going to send me a link. About 10 minutes passed, I still hadn't heard anything. So I messaged Mum again to ask what was happening and then Grace finally sent the link. I saw her looking into the camera. She ignored me when I said hello and turned the tablet around to the kids who were waiting giddily in front of the tree. Daddy's here, Grace said, obviously still in a huff. Merry Christmas, I said, but the kids were just waiting to see which ones were theirs. Merry Christmas, Maisie. Merry Christmas, Robbie. Let's try to do things one at a time, said my mum. This one is for Robbie. Yes, he said, going right at it. Don't snatch, dear. Is it me next? said Maisie, looking at Grace. Merry Christmas, Maisie, I said. She didn't say anything. Can you guys hear me? Grace, can you hear me? It's my turn, Maisie demanded, as Robbie prized his Nerf gun out the box. No, it's mine, said one of her cousins. I'm going to log out and come back in again, I said. I quit the call and dialed back, but I couldn't connect. I tried again and messaged Grace when that didn't work. I asked them to hold on until I could connect again. I kept trying and trying. Eventually I made it back and I got a blurry view of Grace's face. She mumbled something I couldn't make out and turned the tablet back to the kids. They were already knee-deep in wrapping paper, but the screen was blocking up and the sound was cutting out. I saw Maisie come towards the camera with her Bratz doll. I think she said, Look, Daddy, before the screen cut out. I tried a few more times but didn't work, and I got upset, very upset. I couldn't even watch them open their presents. Was that too much to ask? It's hardly worth me doing my hair. This was the worst Christmas ever. Grace messaged to say signal bad, sorry. I texted her back to say she could open her present if she wanted. The electronic massager thing she'd asked for, as well as the surprise spa package I'd picked specially for her. I made breakfast late. Maybe I was a little hungover. I'd forgotten to do the washing up last night. There were dirty plates and empty beer cans on the counter. That wasn't like me at all. I messaged Mum to see if Grace was okay. She was behaving very strangely. Could she keep an eye on her for me? I had a look at Grace's emails to see if there was anything going on that I didn't know about already. I went back to work and got out the tape and plastic sheets I needed to cover up the carpet on the landing before I started painting. I put some tunes on to try and cheer myself up, but it wasn't working. They'd be having Christmas dinner soon, and what did I have? Derek was a pretty good cook, all things considered, even if his gravy was always a bit wet. I messaged Grace asking for some pictures of the kids enjoying dinner and then texted Mum to ask her to take some too. 
just in case Grace was deliberately ignoring me. Mum said she would, but without referencing my previous messages, so I didn't know if she was keeping an eye on Grace or not. I texted her back, asking for clarity. Looking out to the lawn, I saw it had snowed more than I thought. There was an actual layer of snow, not too deep, but thick enough so that it wasn't melting yet. I had an idea. I could make a snowman for the kids and text them the pictures. They'd love that, show them that I was enjoying myself. I got my gloves and wellies and went outside and started to gather up the snow into large piles. Then I started to compact it, pushing it together to make a firm, large ball. I began to roll it around the garden, picking up the other snow and pulling out any leaves or twigs that it picked up. It wasn't going to be a huge snowman, there wasn't enough snow, but I was going to make it a classic one, with charcoal buttons, hat and scarf, and carrot for his nose. But I think I'd probably use too much snow for the body. I wanted to make him up of three large snowballs, but I would just have to make do with two, unless I gave him a really small head, <laughs> like my stepbrother Warren. The second snowball was still quite heavy. It was going to be a challenge to get it onto the first one and get it to stay there. I compacted it super hard, then tried to roll and lift it up. I just about got the snowball on top when I saw someone. They were standing in the window, watching me. They were standing behind the patio doors. There was a shadow across his face. I could see him wearing some kind of robe. He was wearing a white t-shirt with his belly pressed up against the glass. I could see two long hairy legs coming out of a pair of grey shorts. I let the head slip from my grip, causing it to roll off and break on the ground. I looked down for just a second, and when I looked back, the man was gone. I ran through the back door into the dining room to the patio doors. There wasn't anyone there, so I ran through into the living room, and then upstairs to each room. Nothing. There was no one there, and the front door was locked, and it wasn't like he would have had any time to hide. He didn't seem like someone who'd be too fast on their feet. I'd walked wet and muddy footprints through the house, just like I was always warning the kids not to. I was all het up and angry and confused. I got out the carpet cleaner so I could keep myself occupied while I tried to figure this thing out. Maybe it had been the shadows and the light reflecting on the glass, but I'd had several seconds to look at this man taking his clothes and his podgy figure. I was sure I'd seen slippers too. It couldn't just be a reflection, an illusion. I was mopping the kitchen floor when it really sunk in. If I hadn't seen an illusion, then there had to be someone in the house. And as I was mixing the bicarbonate of soda for cleaning the carpets, I remembered the cry from last night. I went up to Robbie's room again and made a small search. Nothing there. Then there couldn't be. How could someone have been hiding all this time? I was just getting spooked because I was alone and it was Christmas and maybe, maybe I was still upset at Grace for ignoring me. Then I wondered if it was COVID. I hadn't heard that seeing things was one of the symptoms. But it was a new virus, an Omicron, a new strain. That had to be it. Perhaps I should have been taking it easy and lying down rather than running all over the place making sure we had a clean house to live in. Then I saw that there was a dirty plate on the counter. It was next to an empty bottle of beer and an empty packet of Monster Munch. I'd washed up straight after breakfast, I always do. It's the only way to stop it from piling up.
But I don't drink before lunch or eat junk like Monster Munch anymore. I don't even let the kids have it. I could hear the TV again. It wasn't on when I went to search the house. I would have heard it. I pulled out the plug and went back to the kitchen. I looked again at the dirty plate. I'd had cereal that morning. There was ketchup on the plate. What the hell was going on? I decided to make a proper, systematic search of the house. No nook and cranny spared, starting in the kitchen and in the pantry. Every cupboard and corner was checked for anything out of the ordinary. The coat cupboard and hall were next. Downstairs bathroom, living room, dining room. Under and around everything, upstairs and down. I found no intruder and no sign of an intruder. I started to think maybe this was some kind of elaborate trick being played on me. Perhaps it was something I'd eaten. That damn steak, maybe. It was time to phone Grace. She'd been avoiding me all day and this wasn't acceptable. Cutting me out of the kid's Christmas wasn't fair and I wasn't going to take being ignored any longer. I rang her and I let it ring and ring until she finally picked up. What is it? Finally, you've deigned to answer me, have you? Oh, fuck off, Jamie. No, don't hang up, please. There's something strange going on here. What? Saw someone in the house. There was someone here. I was outside building a snowman for the kids. I saw this guy watching me from the window. Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm not making this up. I saw him. I don't know what's going on. You don't know what it's like to be here on your own. Jesus fucking Christ. Is there anything you won't do to get my attention? You won't even answer my texts. It's Christmas and you won't even answer me. I deserve better than this. I think, Jamie, that you'd better get used to spending more time on your own. Because I cannot fucking take this anymore. After 18 months of being shut up with you, 18 months of your nitpicking and scheduling and planning and tinkering and tidying and endless, endless complaining, I cannot take you anymore. She hung up the phone. Again. I was getting sick and tired of this. I was at the limit of what I could tolerate. Here was I, all by myself, sick with COVID. I didn't ask for this. Where was she? No support. I wasn't getting to enjoy my Christmas dinner and to unwrap my presents. Had she even unwrapped her present yet? Did she even care? I heard a sound from the kitchen. I knew that sound. It was the fridge door being pulled open. The kids were always trying to sneak things out of there when we weren't looking. I walked over. The kitchen lights were switched off. It was dark, very dark, even for December. The only light was coming from the open fridge. Behind the door, someone was rummaging inside. All I could see of them were some fluffy slippers. And then a hand reaching out to the kitchen island, placing items onto a plate. They were making themselves a snack, like they owned the place. I couldn't believe it. I could feel myself shaking with rage. I wanted to say something, but I felt like I couldn't, like I had a frog in my throat. I walked slowly around the island to get a better look at the intruder, but he didn't look like an intruder at all. He looked well at home here. He was in his dressing gown, and I remembered those hairy legs from before. He was dressed like he'd rolled out of bed a few minutes ago. I could see the bottom of his belly poking out from under his vest. He was a total slob. Before I could get a look at his face, he closed the fridge door and I lost the light. I watched him as he ambled his way over to the living room. 
I felt this incredible tension in my body. I was angry, yes, absolutely livid. There was something weighing me down. I could feel a wrenching inside of me that made me almost want to bend double. I had to grab onto the kitchen counter just in case I was suddenly overwhelmed. It was the strangest, most uncomfortable feeling. I could hear the television again. He'd been the one turning it on. But how could he have been here for so long without me seeing him? My will seemed to be moving, tilting from side to side. I started walking to the living room, but it was as if I had lead in my shoes. Every step seemed to take longer, to take so much effort. And all the while, my home seemed to grow darker, and the darkness itself seemed heavy, like it was pressing down on me. By the time I reached the living room door, I could only just about stand up. I reached out for the side of the doorframe, I grabbed it and slid down onto my knees. I didn't know what was happening to me. My head was bowed, it was hard to hold up. Things had gone blurry. I could see the light of the television. I could see this pig sitting in my chair, stuffing his face. But I couldn't see him properly. He was watching some kind of comedy. I could hear people laughing, cackling at something. But I never heard him laugh back. I didn't know what was happening to me. Grabbing onto the doorframe, I started to pull myself back up. I was able to straighten out my knees, but I was still bent over with my head drooped down. I took a few deep breaths and tried, with a sudden burst of strength, to pull my body up and hold up my head. I managed to stand while leaning against the doorframe, and I looked straight ahead of me. And just as I did, I saw the intruder walking towards me. He was walking right at me like I wasn't even there. I didn't have time to get out of his way. He passed through me like I was a ghost, and I finally got a look at his face, his round, ugly face. My face, my own face. Puffy, swollen, pale and overweight, jowly, sweaty, unshaven, but still my eyes, my nose, my mouth, and for a moment I couldn't breathe. I slipped down onto my knees and then onto my hands and feet. I shuffled around on all fours, still weighed down by I don't know what. I turned to face this horrible thing. I saw him back in the kitchen, closing the fridge door again, beer in hand, thumping his hairy legs on the ground, walking back towards me. I dropped to the floor. Everything went dark. I couldn't see anything. Maybe I passed out for a moment. I felt as if the world around me was spinning like I was being forced down the drain. But at the same time, I knew also that I was just on the floor. I could feel the floor beneath me, even though I had this sensation of being pushed down and turned around. I could hear strange echoes, voices, Robbie shouting, Maisie playing, Mum muttering and Grace shouting. I could hear my own voice, even though I wasn't speaking. I could hear laughter from the television. I felt my mouth open like I was screaming, but I couldn't hear myself. But my jaw, it was open so wide I could feel the muscles on my face straining. I seemed then to be rising off the ground, levitating, and then I crashed back to the floor. 
That I really felt. It was as if I'd been thrown on the ground like one of Robbie's toys. My hands were dug into the carpet as if my life depended on it, like I was Spider-Man crawling on the side of a building and I'd fall if I let go. All I could hear was the sound of my own heartbeat. Through the darkness, I saw then a blue light. It grew in size and then faded, and then it came back again, always a little larger, the flashes more frequent. My brain wasn't working properly through all this. I couldn't think straight. But what I thought was that it might be calling to me, so I started to move towards it, because there was nothing else, nowhere else to go. I started to pull myself across the floor, digging my fingers into the carpet and feeling it peel away from the underlay. As I got slowly closer to the light, I could make out voices, far away, real, speaking voices, not just echoes from my memory. I was tired, shaken up, and I struggled to get very far. I rolled, exhausted, onto my side, relieved to be still for a moment. The voices were a little clearer, and in the flash of the blue light I could see figures. I must have made my way into the hall. I could see the outline of the front door. The light was coming in from somewhere outside. There were three figures in the doorway. I had to listen very hard to make them out, and I couldn't make out all of them, but certain words I could hear. Not for a long time, said a man's voice. There were more words, more noise. The flashes of the blue light were making my head hurt. I couldn't stand to be here, said a woman's voice suddenly. I just blocked him, said the man again. And after a long pause, he added, I couldn't take it. It was all the time. I had to. Sounds became hard to hear again. I tried to pull myself closer. I didn't know things had gotten this bad, he said. I couldn't hear what was said next. Then he shouted, It's his own fault! I felt a pain in my temple. It grew into a long, piercing pain, like a needle penetrating through my skull. I tried to crawl away. I hadn't heard anything in months, said the woman. How long do you think he's been here? I wanted to get away from the noise. I pushed myself away, wriggling and kicking. I tried to back away out of the hall. A light came on in the dining room suddenly. It was immediately too painful to look at. I almost cried out over the pain, but shadows passed over me, taking the pressure off my eyes. There was a crowd of people in front of me. They were facing away from me. They didn't seem to know I was there. I could only see their backs and the backs of their legs. The light seemed to fade a little. It was easier to see. These people, they were all looking up at something. I could feel some of my strength returning, so I picked myself up, got onto all fours, which was still so hard. I was aware of something swaying going from side to side in the air above the ground. I struggled to see between them. The gap between the two figures in front of me seemed to open and then close over and over. I could never see long enough to learn what they were looking at. Then one of them suddenly moved, swept away to the side. More light poured into my eyes. I wanted to turn away, but I made myself look. I needed to see what was there. It strained my eyes. Slowly I made out a dark shape, thin towards the top, then much thicker below and getting thinner again towards the bottom. It was high up, hanging from the ceiling. It came into focus. 
I could see its legs, its fluffy slippers, its dressing gown, its fat face turn purple. I could see the wire around its throat. It was like someone kicked me in the head. A sudden force knocked me back, lifting me off my palms, flipping me over. I was about to crash back down on the ground, but I just kept falling. It was as if I was falling forever. For hours I was tumbling through the air and I was kicking and screaming and punching into the abyss. My body all spasms and gyrations. I had no control. And then, as if from nowhere, I fell over the coffee table in the living room. I flipped right over it, knocking everything off and landing in a pile on the carpet. I lay there a little while. The grey light of morning was coming through the window. Whatever had happened to me, whatever nightmare or delusion I'd had, it was over. But I had no time to be relieved. I was dizzy and somehow full of energy, though I felt exhausted. I sprung to my feet and found the world was still spinning, and I was spinning with it. I couldn't keep still. I was going around in circles. I stumbled into the dining room. I looked up at the mock Tudor beams and I remembered what I'd seen, and then I felt a sudden wretch from my stomach. I was going to be sick. I ran for the bathroom and vomited my guts out in the bowl. I purged everything. Even when my stomach was empty, I still purged. Acid burned in my mouth, sweat poured down my face. When I was finished, I let myself slide onto the floor. I'm not ashamed to say that I let myself cry for a little bit then. After what had just happened, what I'd been through, I'm not ashamed to admit to having lost control for a moment. I was in a lot of pain, both mental and physical. I was suffering some kind of fever. It must have been a lesser reported COVID symptom, one from the new strain, or it still could have been something I'd eaten. What I saw, it was the most horrifying, terrible thing that I've ever experienced in my life. When I finally stood up, I rinsed out my mouth and then I went upstairs to get myself out of my sweat-soaked clothes. I noticed that the muddy footprints that I'd walked through the house were still there. How could that be? The mud had dried into the carpet as if I'd never tried to clean it up at all. Still trembling, I took a warm shower. It was a shock to the system, but a good one. With clean clothes on and feeling a little more myself, I tried to figure out what had happened. How much time had I lost? My eyes drifted towards the dining room where that figure, that man, had been hanging. That man with my face. Only it couldn't have been me, could it? The state of him. I would never let myself go like that. But it was a dream. A nightmare. We all see strange, bizarre things when we dream. Except that... There were muddy footprints in the house, and there were dirty dishes in the sink, and I was sure I hadn't drunk that many bottles, and I don't eat Monster Munch these days. What had happened to me? What had I seen? I had a notification on my phone. 
It was mum. She'd sent pictures of the kids from yesterday with a message saying, Forgot to send these. Did you manage okay on your own? Still nothing from Grace. I flopped down in my armchair. I was starving, but I didn't want to eat anything. I felt so empty. So unbelievably miserable, depressed, lonely. I looked over the messages I'd sent Grace yesterday, and then I started to scroll up further. I read what we'd been sending each other for months and months, going all the way back to last year. I felt myself starting to cry again. It took some time for me to gather the courage to do it. I texted her and I said, I've been thinking, maybe I should move out for a little time, give you and the kids some room, try to think things over and work out how we should move forward. I clicked send. She said she wanted space. I wanted to see if she was really serious or not. I had a reply in moments. It said, where would you go? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'd wanted her to say, don't be silly, or what good would that do? I put the phone down and stared out the window. Things were really that bad. I'd really fucked things up badly. I racked my brains and eventually messaged back that I could move in with my step-cousin John or stay in my friend Tim's Airbnb as it was out of season, just for now, just while we sorted things out. She took a few minutes to get back to me this time. She said, Probably better if you stayed with your cousin. You might find it tough being on your own. I felt my temperature rise a little, as if I couldn't cope. Paced around trying to think how to reply. Was I really going to do this? Leave the home I'd worked so hard to provide for them? Spent so long working on for them? Where would they be without me? How would they have gotten through the last 18 months if it wasn't for me looking after them? Doing all the work for them. Took a deep breath. I was doing this for us. I was doing this for her. And the kids. So we could all be happy and work together again. I text back. I'll call John tomorrow and see if he has space. I'll let you know what he says. I kept pacing as I waited for her reply. Ten minutes later, all she said was, Okay. Married eight years, two children, and all I get is okay. Well, fine. See how she does without me. I started to plan out what I was going to take with me and how many suitcases I'd need. I'd packed at least one week's worth of clothes, probably a few outfits more, so there'd be some crossover between wash cycles. Would I need some suits? Even with Omicron, there'd be no announcement about working from home again, so I'd probably still keep going in. It was so unfair putting me through all this. But it was just one other thing I had to do for them. We'd work things out, me and Grace. I could compromise with her, providing she was able to see sense. I went to the garage to look for boxes. The light was flickering in there and the radiator wasn't on properly. It needed bleeding. And the more I thought about it, the more I started to feel better. Because Grace didn't have a clue. She didn't have a practical bone in her body. She couldn't fix radiators. Had I even seen her replace a light bulb on her own before? It was going to be chaos. 
absolute chaos without me there to pick up after them, sort things out for them. Grace does work hard as a mum, but even she'd admit to not having her head screwed on properly most of the time. She struggles to plan ahead and stay organised. She barely does any budgeting at all. And as for cleaning up, this place would be a tip without me picking up after them. Dirty clothes and washing up, piled high. Provided we work things out quickly, she'd still get the same amount of money from me each month. But let's see how she manages the spending. I wouldn't be bailing her out. I wouldn't be able to living somewhere else. Those are extra costs, and they'd have to start coming out of her end if she continued to be stubborn. I came back inside with the boxes and got to thinking about the boiler. I'd serviced it myself last year when it started turning off and on at random. I wondered if I could get back in there, loosen some screws or bolts, maybe remove a seal, and then just wait for the call. Give her a peek at what life was really like when you're the one taking all the responsibility. What was I worrying about? I'd be back in no time. There might be more lockdowns, more variants. Then what would they do? Once the lesson was learned, we could start trying to get things back on track, get everything back to normal, how it was supposed to be. I'd make a sea sense, one way or another. I could hear that the TV was on again. I hadn't figured out yet what was causing that. I might have to take it apart. There was laughter. It was live at the Apollo again. In fact, it was the same episode I'd only watched two nights ago. Bloody repeats. It's the same thing every year. Merry Christmas, and thank you for listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to support what I do, please consider leaving a review on any platform and subscribing to hear future releases. You can also become a patron and enjoy some bonus content by signing up at patreon.com slash newghoststories. This podcast is written, presented, and produced by David Paul Nixon. If you'd like to find out more about New Ghost Stories, visit my website, newghoststories.substack.com. And to get all the latest from me, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at newghoststories. We'll be back on New Year's Day with a brand new bonus episode. Have a happy holidays, and I'll see you then. back on new year's day with a bonus episode have a happy holiday have a happy hol have a happy hol have a happy hol have a happy hol have a happy have a happy have a happy holidays have a happy holidays have a happy holidays and i'll see you then have a happy holidays and i'll see you then <laughs>